You can support the Double Loop Podcast by contributing at patreon.com slash double loop podcast. Thank you to our supporters, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Double Lip Podcast, your source for everything about fingerprints. While you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. And you know, Glenn, a, a few uh, weeks ago, or a few months ago now, but a few episodes ago, uh, we were talking about the Bacon uh, uh, Erdos number. I recall. You had mentioned, you know, the, you know, co-authoring kind of along the same lines, so having the same number that way as me, and, uh, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, your lack of a bacon number really being the only problem there. Well, I, I don't know why it didn't occur to me at the time, but a couple weeks later it just popped in my head, wait a minute, Glenn has been on, t- on, on the screen, the, the, the small screen with uh, a few episodes of Forensic Files. So I did some looking, and you can link uh, in the Forensic Files episode A Watchful Eye, which was about the case with the uh, the park ranger uh, yep. up in Minnesota. Carrie, the Carrie Nelson case in uh, in Minnesota, Blue Mound State Park. He was, you were in that episode. Also was uh, Seth Austin, uh, an actor in the, um, the reenactment part of it. Uh, Seth Austin was in Stan the Man, with, I don't know what movie that is, but with uh, Eliza Roberts. And Eliza Roberts was in Animal House, famously starring Kevin Bacon, giving you also, like me, a Bacon number of three. That's, that is really cool. So congratulations on a Bacon Erdos number of eight, I think is what we had said before. So there you go. Um, I'll, man, I'll take it. <laughs> I had no idea that I was that close to Kevin Bacon due to stardom in a Forensic Files episode. <laughs> Yeah, and and it's not like you ever meet the the actors that reenact you know reenact oh, no. those, but right I, those crazy scenes where they get the actor to play the criminal or whatever. It, right, it was that dude yep. who yep. had that connection. That, no, it's really cool. Thanks for uh, thanks for figuring it out for me. Yeah, uh, so we got a bunch of stuff to cover this this uh, this episode. Probably a couple episodes we'll all record here tonight. But first thing is, uh, got to mention is our new Twitter account. Uh, you know, I've done kind of done it before, and then it was kind of hit and miss when when I was doing it with my my own Twitter account. But we we have a, a volunteer, uh, a super fan, super fan Becca, who's who's agreed to kind of take the lead and uh, and keep us old guys. You know, on the uh, on the the, the tweets uh, on the Twitterverse, uh, so you can follow us. I think this is the correct yes. term, Glenn. Uh, follow us on uh, at Double Loop Pod, uh, Double Loop, and then P O D, all one word together. Uh, Super fan Becca keeps us up to date with all sorts of stuff coming out. Uh, occasionally, I'll I'll throw some stuff up there as well. Uh, like just this past week, I, I threw up. A, a link to a YouTube video showing a clip from the old Harrison Ford movie, Presumed Innocent, uh, where a latent print examiner gets up on the stand and testifies to the diagonal slash and the upper swirl. It's, it's great. <laughs> uh, it's actually one of the more realistic ones I've seen on, on TV and movies before because it's not a perfect overlay. It's actually a real chart. And, and he looks right. like a legitimate fingerprint examiner. In fact, I will submit... And I don't know if this is true or not. He looks like Steve Beager. It's almost as if they chose an actor who specifically looked like the head of the FBI unit at the time. He he looks a lot like Steve Meager. That's funny. I hadn't thought of you that. You have to agree, um, though, right? Steve Meager. 
Well, yeah, but Steve Nagel would dead, wouldn't be caught dead saying things like the uh, the the unique whirl, um, and I was like, um, okay, whirls aren't unique, and then the upper swirl, I was like, uh, that just makes me twinge. And again, they they spent the time to get an accurate, you know, period time accurate, well, period because it you know was set in nineteen ninety, you know, current yeah. day at the time. Yeah, but um, they they got an actual latent print chart with a latent and a known, and it's got the numbers and the lines to all the points, and the lines actually go to points, and it actually is an ID. And I mean, all the the chart itself is exactly what yeah. you would see um, in a real courtroom from an expert. It's just the dialogue right. is just made up it's like totally well this is why up. i feel like they probably sent someone to do some research went to the fbi met maybe steve meager and went okay this is this is it. this is how we're gonna do this but then of course you know put the dialogue in later and it wasn't really accurate but the the whole right. testimony and the image i think is great and side note i saw that uh, movie in the theater because I was actually a movie theater usher at that time in my life and so I saw that movie over and over and over and anyone who's seen it I, I don't want to give it away it's a kind of a thriller movie but there is um, there's a scene towards the end when there's a big reveal about how the evidence was was gathered. I don't know if you've actually seen the whole movie. Uh, the main the main point is I'm not um, the uh, one of the characters saves Harrison Ford's semen and uses it against him. <laughs> and I will say that it was traumatizing and one of those things that throughout my life I've always sort of like in the back of my head went oh. I've heard about this. It's like in presumed innocent. <laughs> so no, I, 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 my theater days were a few years later. I didn't know um, I was going but, there. Did you? Uh, didn't know I was going to the same no, semen. No. Okay. I, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to segue out of this. <laughs> right, now, fair, but, enough. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, follow us on Twitter uh, if if uh, if you're into that kind of thing. Even if you're not, um, you know, follow us and get all sorts of updates as to kind of what's going on on a more of a daily basis yeah I, i'm really excited that we've got this twitter you know thing and we were able to now kind of tweet some uh things from old episodes and some fingerprint related funny stuff from movies television and then just some general forensic and we're gonna really try to keep this very active I, I would really encourage you, if any of you do have Twitter accounts, just go ahead and add us right now. Uh, you won't be disappointed. We'll have lots of fun little forensic stuff that will brighten your day uh, as we uh, get into this. So uh, next order of business, before we get really into the meat of the episode, uh, is to talk a little bit about um, a company that we've uh, partnered up with to to sponsor some of the stuff we're doing here on the Double Loop Podcast. Yep. And, um, and I think listeners should start getting ready as you and I really start pounding the pavement and trying to get uh, some sponsorship and looking for people, some tie-ins to things that this is going to be a little more normal occurrence. And we really do um, want to try to find boutique vendors and people that are uh, dealing with things I think our listeners would be interested in. But I'll, I'll let you talk about this and then I, I'll pitch one thing at the end. Yeah. It's called the California Wine Club. So uh, they've been around since uh, since. 90, 1990, mm. so it even predates uh, the but, internet. But the same year as um, presumed innocence. Exactly. That's that's the segue we we're looking for Perfect. to bring it all there together. And they've got you know customers uh, all over. Most of their customers have actually been with them for years. So it's it's um, it's not you know some sort of fly by night internet operation. Uh, but what uh, what you can do is sign up uh, with California Wine Club. 
um, and uh, they will send you every month uh, a couple of bottles of wine. And, uh, you know, there's different price levels that you can pick from, uh, but they go out and uh, meet with the vineyards. Uh, Small the, boutique vineyards that, you know, specialize in various varietals and uh, a wide range of stuff you won't exactly. find at Total Wine or BevMo or your big wine stores. And then it just shows up right at your door. I like that part of it. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, uh, they even have a love it guarantee where uh, if the wine they've picked out for you to enjoy isn't quite your thing, uh, just let them know uh, and they'll switch it out for uh, for something else. But it, it could really be a, an awesome thing in discovering something new that becomes your favorite wine. I, I know that um, all of you uh, forensic professionals out there um, you know, on the weekend or even just after a long day uh, out at the crime scene or in the lab uh, processing or comparing, sometimes need to just uh, have a glass or three of wine. So uh, this would be a great way to do that. And it would help support us here at the Double Loop Podcast. So what you do is after you go and register at their site, uh, pick out, you know, what what kind of level you would like to do, uh, or you can even choose to have a to buy a gift certificate to send to somebody as a gift. CAWineClub.com is the website, and when you place an order, put in for the promo code Double Loop, and uh, that definitely will help us out. Here, here, as 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 I drink my glass of wine. Well done. Absolutely, I, I, I saw I, I saw you holding that there, and I was like, oh, I hope he mentions that he's. Uh, uh, as as usual, really uh, enjoying a glass of wine while we record this podcast. <laughs> a glass is being being very fair. <laughs> What's next, Glenn? Do we have anything else to cover before we jump into things? Well, we can tease this a little bit more and get into it a little bit later. But I mean, we're really looking at some sort of sponsorship level. Um, uh, access where um, people that sponsor the podcast through Patreon and other you know other ways will find a way to get you maybe some preferred and select content, make this an experience, and get people connected through the podcast into the broader fingerprint community and and uh, bring some of these cool cases and images and training and all bring it through the podcast. Cool. Finally, getting into things here, we are going to be talking about the staircase. Yeah, oh, I'm so excited! So excited. Um, so this is originally a French documentary. Um, I'm pretty sure that uh, I'm going to just totally butcher uh, the, the original name of the, this uh, this uh, movie or, or documentary, but some something it's not pronounced Supcons. No, it's Soupçon. This is uh, before even uh, making a murderer was big. This was like the big documentary about the American justice system became a very famous case um, that people debated of did he do it or did he not do it this documents the trial of Michael Peterson accused of murdering his wife Kathleen Peterson Michael Peterson says that he uh, goes inside after uh, his wife had gone inside a while ago he later followed uh, inside and finds her uh, in um, just basically a pool of blood at the bottom of the staircase calls 911 saying that she fell down uh, the staircase. Um, when uh, cops arrive, they start investigating because it doesn't look quite like a fall, just because of the amount of blood that's there at the bottom of the staircase. And they eventually uh, arrest him and charge him uh, with killing his wife. And uh, he goes on trial. Now, the, uh, there's the director of the documentary is uh, Jean-Xavier de l'Estrade. 
and John Javier probably, Jay Lestrade. And uh, he gets involved super early with this case, um, you know, interviewing people from just, seems like just a couple of weeks after uh, the, uh, the death occurred. And then for, you know, goes on for years of the trial. And then he comes back and re-interviews people uh, later after uh, there is a, an appeal. And uh, just now, earlier this year, uh, there are co- the final couple episodes have now aired on Netflix, uh, which is where I watched this whole thing uh, that really kind of wrap up the whole case. Uh, so we're going to spend um, you know uh, a couple episodes here talking about uh, the whole case, um, and hopefully you also you guys listening also have a chance to listen to it or watch it. Um, and, uh, then we're going to go into kind of like what we did with making a murderer talking about the forensics that were involved in this case, kind of wiping aside all of the, you know, uh, the theatrics of the trial and all of the theatrics of the, of the film, um, and looking, you know, again, more focused on the, uh, the evidence and see what, you know, opinion that uh, us as forensic scientists, you know, come to uh, after looking at all that. And I'll just chime in here a little bit. So for for me, this this we've never really talked about this too much. But Eric, when we were back talking about the OJ case, and you know, I, I I alluded a little bit to this. I said, you know, there's this other documentary out there called The Staircase. It's not you can right. get it through Netflix. You know, you can rent the DVDs, but it's not streaming. So it's cool that they started streaming the earlier stuff and added these new episodes. So I think throughout this, I'd like to refer to part one as what was the original eight episodes on the discs, and then the new five episodes that they added. So a total of thirteen episodes. The whole thing is now streaming as one season, but in my life, there was part one, and then there's part two. Well, there's actually three parts because there was a, a there was another set uh, when um during the the appeals process um and now uh, and so then that ended and then after and then now just this year the last kind of two episodes oh. came out so this is really aired in three I, separate I, I, I didn't realize it. so um, all 13 episodes yeah. came out three different times then okay right so for a minimum let's at least talk about the first eight episodes as part one leading up to you know the the ultimate conviction of him oh spoilers spoilers well man. i mean that, that's pretty cool. um all right even before i came a forensic scientist um for minnesota i knew i wanted to be a forensic scientist this has been a lifelong goal of mine i knew one from a very young age i i'm one of the exceptions that i knew i wanted to be a forensic scientist just not a fingerprint examiner um i used to come home from my crappy job of being an usher at the movie theater and working in the <laughs> kitchens as uh you know like a sous chef understudy and doing all kinds of just odd jobs like overnight jobs in the lab and validation work and just really crappy but you know entry level jobs and what I would do before I would leave in the morning is I'd set my VCR on court TV, pop in an eight-hour VHS, and just record court <laughs> TV all day long. And then I would come home and watch testimony and trials. And I did this for years. I mean, through you know, after the OJ stuff. But uh, even once I got a job as a forensic scientist, I would do this every single day. So I actually happened to catch like all the testimony at the time in 2001 when this crime happened, and I was actually watching all. 
of these uh, testimonies. And uh, and then later when I became an associate professor at some local universities, I was using these tapes in my classes. And uh, the, the North Carolina versus Peterson case, which is how I knew it back then, was one of the cases I used. And I'll, we'll get into why, but it was always one of the ones I would make available for students to watch and get their comments on the testimony. Uh, I would uh, put these tapes in, in the uh, library for my students, have them watch at least two different testimonies from from two different cases, and then comment and review, not knowing much of background on it. And so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, but so I've always been fascinated by this case. And then as you're going to find out, my mentor in bloodstain pattern analysis and one of the guys who was my first introduction to forensic science at the Minnesota State Lab was one of the guys who worked this case. And we'll get into this a little bit later, but I had an inside view of this case from the very beginning. And then when I got to see the documentary later on disc, tying this real life, I've actually seen the evidence to what's in the documentary, which is it, it, you'll you'll see where I land on this, and I have some very strong views based on having looked at the evidence that is not all shown in the documentary. And and one of the reasons for that is when the documentarians went to get everyone's permission to do this. Even Peterson was pretty skittish from the beginning and saying, no, nah, I'm not sure I want this, yeah. but eventually did. And you get to see the whole case unfold from the defense strategy standpoint. The prosecution was very clear, nope, we're not going to do any of this. So there's nothing from the prosecution side other than what's in the courtroom. And that's because the prosecutor in that case, the head DA, was very clear, nope, not interested when when I started watching uh, the series, um, in the the first episode, is basically just an account of what happens, um, um, uh, a summary of the things that there's no real disagreement on. Uh, Peterson uh, is married, and there are uh, five kids. Not necessarily some in the household, some some grown and outside, but five kids are really involved in yep. this family. Um, but it is a it is a very unique and blended family. So although you don't the, know the background till like episode three or four, but that I'm sure we'll get to that. So uh, just quick overview uh, of of the family here. So Michael Peterson had been previously married and uh, had two. Uh, this is this is in 2001 um, when this uh, the the death occurs. He has two sons from his first marriage. They're again. They're in their early twenties, so they're uh, they're not quite at home. Uh, they grew up there with him. He also has two adopted daughters. Uh, came uh, from when he was living uh, on a base in mm -hmm. Germany uh, with his first wife. And one of his you know close friends and neighbors uh, dies in the U.S. invasion of Grenada, and then a couple years later. The, uh, the the mother uh, dies uh, as well, leaving these two girls as orphans, and uh, he and his then-wife adopt them. Um, after that couple splits up, those two daughters end up eventually living with him in the U.S. while his, his original wife uh, stayed in Germany. Uh, he remarries... Um, Kathleen uh, Peterson. Kathleen Peterson, who has a daughter from a previous marriage, um, so uh, that being now the youngest of these five kids, 
Um, so this uh, this is a kind of a pretty unique blended family um, that's that's all together. Yep. No one's home except for except for Michael Peterson and his wife Kathleen Peterson. Right. And they are they live in a fairly sprawling and upscale mansion in North Carolina. Yeah, she's fairly well to do. She's a businesswoman, uh, sort of the the breadwinner in the family. Uh, he's an author and sort of known for some of his author as uh, his stories about the war and his experiences in the war. But I mean, he's not like a famous famous author but that's how he sort of makes a living and in fact the the court tv at the time kept referring to this as you know this famous author who potentially murdered his wife but she was really the 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 cornerstone of the family right she was working for uh i think it was nortel at the time correct um and was uh was like a high level executive with them yeah and uh, yeah he had published some books about his experiences in vietnam and had worked on an office like a, a columnist with the newspaper but w- the the account goes that um he and his wife were enjoying some some wine uh by the pool and um o- outside in is this december or uh yes yeah okay because this, this is like late december right in north carolina december outside by the pool uh just you know chatting after dinner and drinking some wine and uh they probably said so they probably went through two bottles total uh she says that she's gonna head inside and go to bed because she is uh has a um a, a big meeting to get to early in the morning and uh, he stays outside by the pool for another hour or two. Um, Fell asleep. Maybe even dozes off uh, and then uh, decides, you know, time to go inside. And when he goes in, uh, he sees uh, his wife uh, at the bottom of the kind of the back stairs that lead from the kitchen up to the second floor. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a fairly narrow staircase. You, know, you take about a step or two before you have to take an immediate uh, right-hand turn to go up the rest of the staircase. And uh, and she's right there at the bottom. Uh, so in the documentary, they play the 911 call. He calls, he sounds like he's in hysterics, and says that uh, his wife uh, fell down the stairs they ask him, well, how many stairs? And he, he's like flustered, just not quite sure. He says, I, I don't know, just send people. Like, I don't care. It's, I don't know, 15, 20 something. And, and uh, uh, says that his wife is still breathing. He either hangs up or gets disconnected, calls back again, uh, you know, continues uh, talking with the 911 operator. She's trying to figure out what's going on, get as much information as possible. And in just a short time, the police, uh, you know, arrive in just a few minutes. It's not a, a very long time before they show up. And there is, there's just blood everywhere uh, at the bottom of these stairs. The, then this first episode, one of the things that really struck me was how back and forth it kind of goes. So from what I kind of gathered later... At, at this first stage, it's, again, very early, just a couple weeks into after this uh, occurs, is when is when the the filmmakers get involved in this case. Uh, at this point, there is actually quite a bit of interviews with the prosecution at the time. 
Now that, like you said, that totally changes. And after this first episode, there's basically nothing. But at this stage, there are uh, some interviews with uh, detectives and prosecutors. Uh, not a whole lot, uh, except for you know clips late shown from later on, you know of uh, Michael Peterson and his family talking about this event uh, of the family. And like you said, the family was initially not quite sure how to get involved, but after a couple months, get super involved and and really open up their their home and their lives to these filmmakers, filming this entire process from uh, Michael Peterson's arrest and then the entire trial. But that was kind of my... Uh, when I first was watching the, that first episode, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, they, they are involved really early in all yep. this. Because yep. it's... I mean, it's not just like showing old clips. Yep. This is like right away. And again, compared to Making a Murderer, at least in that first episode, my impression was they really are seem to be showing interviews uh, from both sides. Right. Uh, that was one of my, the things that caught me off guard back when I saw this in 2005 or whatever was, wow, how did they pick this case so early? Not knowing, Because you get to watch it unfold as defense learns certain things and they go through their strategy. It's like you... You couldn't have picked a, a better case, and and then you know what? Ten some years later, making a murderer comes along, and I thought the same thing. Like, well, in fact, when I watched making a murderer, I went, "Wow, this is just like the staircase." It's amazing they got involved so early on and watching all the drama unfold. Which is why, again, after those episodes, I think I was referring to this staircase and urging listeners to listen to yeah. it because it it all it harkens back to that. I'm so glad that this case is being revisited. the The other thing about the first episode, now I don't I don't know. I, I can't remember specific ep- episodes, but one thing very early on, I mean, two things about this crime scene that you described and so far, every, everything you've got is exactly dead on. One thing that at some point comes out, I don't know when, but by the time the police arrive, the son is there. The oldest son is already there. Because okay. I don't know, because it's a very subtle thing. I don't think it comes up early on, but at some point it comes out later. He was already there by the time the cops showed up. And then the the second thing being is when the EMS arrive, they kind of look at each other and go, uh, she's been dead a while. And right. um, there's clotting of blood that the crime scene investigators notice right away. There's some indication that she has been there a while. There's evidence of potential cleanup. The sun is already there, and everyone's looking around going, mm, this ain't adding up. I mean, right from the get-go. So, I mean, there wasn't this period of, oh, where, where are we going with this? I mean, it was right from the get-go. This is not adding up with what we're being told. All right. So, I mean, we'll unpack some of the, the actual evidence that comes out later from the medical examiner and the the crime scene as the crime scene's doing their work. And we'll, we'll we'll get to those sort of facts, but I think as you start watching the series, they don't quite get into that right away. In fact, I, the 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 filmmaker, I think rightfully so, brings that out as they're either strategizing the case, getting defense experts, and then as you get into the actual testimony. So, maybe we'll follow along thematically more the episodes and get more into the drama behind and from the beginning peterson says i'm innocent of this but he also is smart and says look i know you got to look at me i'm going to cooperate i'm going to do whatever um However, <laughs> I'm going to hire a very good attorney. And very early on, uh, he hires David Rudolph. And David Rudolph, I don't know if I've mentioned him in episodes before, but 
I love him. If I was <laughs> guilty of murdering my wife, David Rudolph is who I hire. Like, he's the guy I would go to. I mean, I have a short list of Barry Sheck, Peter Neufeld, and David Rudolph. And he's, he's absolutely amazing. Um, his strat he's he's expensive um and at some point they talk about the price tag i don't know if you caught the price tag for this defense uh yeah it was uh i think it eventually got to at least over a hundred grand oh no no um, oh no 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 it was a million uh, over a million over a million it was over a million yeah one of the experts alone was a hundred grand uh much less all the billable hours and everything so and then all right great great point to pull aside When you look at making a murderer, this is an example of people who are confused by the system, don't know what to do, and don't have any money. This is like OJ, where this is what happens when you can buy the best experts, the best defense attorneys, and put on an amazing defense. In OJ, we know the outcome is the forensic evidence was there, but he was found not guilty. In this case... The forensic evidence was also there, although we'll explore some of the nuances of it, and he was found guilty. But this is what happens when you've got money and can buy the best justice possible. And I was thinking that the entire time. I was I was really in my head contrasting this and just, yep. just kept thinking, what a contrast to making a murderer. Now, yes. making, a, making a murderer, while yes, you know, confused by the system... But he did have money from that settlement with the state to hire some defense, uh, some good defense attorneys. Um, but uh, his um, Avery's nephew, you know, didn't. Right. He was he was one who was really stuck. And and even Avery's money ran out pretty quickly. Exactly. Right. Uh, but still, this contrast is uh, really stands out. And I think you're right. That right on with. With um, how things proceeded, went very much more like how OJ got to hire all these experts. In some cases, the same expert. Yeah, yeah, um, right, right. <laughs> uh, so I'm watching, and I, the, I, the first episode ends, and I'm just, I'm, 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 uh, I'm really just like, oh, this is really interesting. I was really drawn in from that first episode. Yes. And then, so I, I, you know, as you do with Netflix, just you know, hit next episode, start watching. You know, the things, like you say, they unfold before you and you see people's reaction to hearing these, these, yes. these, these, uh, these developments, you see their reaction to hearing them basically for the first time, yeah. or at least who knows what the magic of filmmaking. No, know. I, I believe it was really legit. I really do. I, I'm assuming you're about to get to one of my favorite parts <laughs> in the whole series. So why don't you jump into it? Because Rudolph's reaction is just so amazing. It's so great. <laughs> So, the the police get a, a, a search warrant and they start looking around the house. Um, or you know, there's question about this later on as to you know the search warrant and the scope. You know, the the, the scope of it and yeah. what they got to collect or what they you know what they should have been doing. But in the end, there's a uh, they the police discover uh, all these files on a computer. And, and, and quick side note, uh, prior to this, David Rudolph, and I believe this is actually on camera, David Rudolph is, is really talking to his client saying, look, I need to know anything in your background. If you got a parking ticket, if you yeah. did that, I need to know anything that they can dig up on you. And Peterson's like, great. He's like, and he's got kind of a high-pitched voice when I think he's lying. His voice raises. It's like, 
No, 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 nothing, nothing. I, no, I'm, I'm clean. I'm clean. <laughs> and and Rudolph is like, all right, all right, well, all right, good, good. I just, I just need to know about anything. I need to know about anything. No, no, I'm good. Well, and he's he's kind of weird. Like, now, okay, the, I was skipping ahead a little bit. His weirdness is way overshadowed by his ex-wife's weirdness. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. She struck me as the weirdest person in this entire series. Um, and I, I have no idea what her deal is, but she's freaking weird. Yeah. But um, uh, he, he's kind of, you know, I mean, and maybe maybe it's just because he's an author, and that's kind of how his brain works. Is he is he talks like he's telling a story or developing a story he is a great Uh, storyteller and he sucks people into a narrative but i again i don't know what it is about my background but you know maybe it's the magic thing which it's i can tell when he's being deceptive there are these clear signs he does of oh you're so full of shit (laughs) you're so full of shit but it's still i'm watching this going Okay, yeah, maybe that's just the whole thing, but there's still something just a little off Every, about yes, everything's a little uh, off uh, uh, about kind of what he talks about, what he focuses on, all this kind of stuff. So the police find these images on his computer and these messages, and they are images from uh, homosexual websites. You know, basically, Michael Peterson has been for years now throughout his marriage to to Kathleen Peterson been hiring uh, male escorts uh, for sex. And meeting them in discreet motels and locations, yes. His attorney is like, wait, uh, totally blindsided, caught off guard, you know, goes to him like, what the hell is this? And his reaction is pretty insane. Um, <laughs> his reaction is basically... Well, you know, you're talking about relationships, which you, you know, would you call a relationship. It's not really like a relationship. You keep saying relationship. <laughs> the word le- relationship kind of loses all meaning. Um, it's not a relationship. It's really just sex. And uh, he has a really tough time discussing it. Now, as the episodes progress, he becomes much more comfortable, ex- yes. you know, with these words and saying it. But that initial day where he's having to explain to his own attorney what he's been, you know, doing, uh, yes. you know, within the marriage, um, or outside of the marriage, uh, it, it comes off as he doesn't know initially how to, to describe all of this that's yeah. been going on. And it's clear he did not want this found out. He did not want this discussed. And, you know, jumping ahead, this becomes a major element of motive. You know, this yes. is going to be one of the main things that the prosecution is going to argue in their theory is that Kathleen may have found these things on the computer, which she'd gone upstairs, might have seen the stuff on the computer, come back to confront him, and this is now becomes he flies into a rage and kills her because he doesn't want this coming out. And even when it does come out in, in like in the documentary, he has this moment of, well, and he has this reaction and this he's not comfortable. At, like you point out, he's not comfortable at all about this, and he immediately becomes dismissive of it. But then, throughout the episodes and the years, and even towards the final episodes that I just got to watch, it's now he's like, ah, no big thing, you know. Yeah, that's not how you were in the beginning. That's not how this unfolded. And <laughs> exactly, let, let's remember this is two thousand one. We're talking about yes. North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina, and boy, I mean, again, this was some of the most entertaining part of the. 
uh, the court trials, uh, watching like when they call in the escort to testify. I've got all <laughs> of his testimony. It's fantastic. It is so hilarious but again the prosecutor who took this witness and this issue i mean she she comes off as very prim and proper and southern she has a real thick southern accent and and, and they hand this up as no normal man would be doing this kind of thing and you know and no normal good southern woman would allow this kind of thing i mean so they make it very clear that this would be the motive, and and they do a, a great job of emphasizing this from a prosecution standpoint, which culturally is a little, you know, it's not where we are here in 2018, but in t- 2001, you know, or, or two or three when the trial happened, three yeah. when the trial happened, like this, I mean that that was a motive for murder, and they made Absolutely. a huge deal out of it, but it's. It, it, how it unfolds is, again, pretty fascinating. So eventually, uh, Michael Peterson gets to the point where he's saying, oh, no, she totally knew about this. She, she knew about this. She was totally fine with it. <laughs> um, she, uh, well, I, I'm, she, I'm thinking about the last episode, which I just watched the other day. Um, he's being interviewed now, like nowadays, by an author who wants to do a book on his life and this whole event. And even right. that author's like, so she knew about this. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. We had a very open marriage. Uh-huh. She knew about this, and you guys talked about it. Well, we didn't really talk about it. And you can just look at her expression like, I don't believe a word right. you're saying. And I'm your author, and I'm going to be writing this story. It was clear that whenever he talked about this, even in more modern times, no one seems to believe the Kathleen knew about it. She was very cool with it. We had an open marriage. Everything was cool. Like nobody seems to buy that, even today. He goes to great lengths to uh, to say she was aware, but to not say that they talked about it. Yes, but to say that they joked about it indirectly, like they would go to the army base. And she would say, hey, look at those guys. They're gay just like you, but we never... But then again, saying we never really talked about what I was doing, you know, with these escorts. So, uh, again, it's just another kind of weird part to... And some of the first clues of kind of the weirdness of Michael Peterson. I'll Um, I'll say the story and narrative that he builds. Yes. Now, again... At this point, I was just like, I'm, I'm like, blind. That came out of nowhere. And it's not, it's not even the big thing yet that we've gotten to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was like, whoa, okay, okay, this is absolutely this is motive for murder. And um, throughout this whole series, I keep going back and forth as to. Uh, what am I really thinking about uh, this case? Did he do it? Trying to trying to extract from the um, uh, from the episodes from what they're showing uh, the actual forensic evidence that would kind of you know you know start leading me one way or the other. And throughout this whole series, it really came down. Uh, you know, I really went back and forth in in what i thought uh about uh you know his guilt or, or what the forensic evidence showed um so it was kind of a it, that was part of the you know the entertainment of it all is yes is being unsure how i felt about the case overall as different points were made 
um, uh, you know, in trial, but then also by the discussions that you saw behind the scenes uh, with the defense attorney and Michael Peterson and his whole family. Having the benefit of having seen the evidence first, I had the same experience of, wow, I can imagine how watching this you're going, I can, I can, I can feel myself going through the ups and downs and drama of it. But again, it's it's this. Mm, yeah, I mean, I'm so biased going into this with one perspective, but I still can appreciate the pull of the drama. I mean, I'm totally sucked in by it. It's so good. All right, you want to get to the like I don't know somewhere around the third yeah. or fourth episode. So, <laughs> so Rudolph is driving at some point, and they're driving the car, and he gets a phone call from his investigator, and his investigator says, eh, "We got a problem." And uh, he's like, okay, do, do I need to pull over? And his investigator, I don't remember the specific, but something like, you may want to. And so the investigator says, well, okay, they're doing this investigation and they find out that Michael Peterson, this neighbor who is the mother of these adopted kids, uh, was found dead years ago in Germany. Um, and she was found dead at the bottom of a staircase. And he was their neighbor. And as the investigation's unfolding, there might have even been some relationship between the two. And Rudolph, I think this is maybe the first time he swears, but he goes, what the fuck? And it's just, he <laughs> he is... You can see him just going, oh, my God, the, the, my, my case is vanishing. The, how, how, I, I asked right. him if there was anything in his background, and apparently um, the mother of his children died exactly the same way, and he didn't really mention any of that. Is that a, is that a fair – I haven't seen it in years, but is that a fair yeah. assessment of that scene? Oh, yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> so um, <laughs> it, it was like – Wait, this this happened before? <laughs> this like this isn't the first time this has happened. Um, now, uh, so, now, aren't you kind of done there? I mean, when you learn that info, I mean, as the viewer, are you sort of now well, just? I mean, are, are you, you're still along was, for the was, ride? Yeah, but I was, it was just so shocking that I was like, okay, ho- hold on a second, what's going on here? <laughs> and so they, the uh, the detective, sorry, detective, the defense attorney and his investigator fly their butts all the way over to Germany to try to figure out what's going on. Um, They meet up with Michael Peterson's ex-wife. She was uh, best friends um, with with, uh, this lady who who died at the bottom of the staircase in Germany. Uh, They were both uh, teachers uh, on base there uh, in Germany. Yep. uh, While their their husbands were both in the military uh, stationed out there. So... She okay. So while I'm waiting to kind of you know figure out, okay, give me some more information about what's going on here with this other staircase death. I my my mind is just blown at this at this lady. I I don't know if it comes from just you know living you know for thirty plus years in another country, but she has the most one of the most weird off the wall cadences and and ways of talking that I've ever seen. She <laughs> she comes across as just this really weird person. Uh, did does that did that initially strike you when when you first saw the series back then of just how off that that uh, his his ex-wife seemed? Well, I will admit that I didn't pick up on the cadence. Uh she just did seem a little weird and also a little bit of 
yeah, yeah, I heard about this stuff, but, you know, and she just seemed very detached from reality and just in her own little world. She really over-enunciates everything and speaks stoppingly, like, slowly, and, uh, you know, it's, it was just, like, uh, I, I don't know. My, my first thought was, was okay, well, maybe it's just, be- like I said, because she hasn't really spoken English much in the past 30-plus years. She sure. just lives in Germany now. But, again, there's, she was born and raised in the States, so she has no, like, German accent or anything. She just, right. Know, uh, right. Uh, it comes across as someone, uh, an ex-hippie, kind of, that... that Yes, is kind of moved out of the the country to to be a European. Yeah, um, uh, that's a, that's a good assessment. They talk to her. She insists there's there was no relationship between um, Michael and um, and this woman who had died, uh, but she goes through the timeline uh, of the events and basically confirms that uh, as far as she knows, Michael was the last person to see her alive. Uh, she is found the next morning at the bottom of the stairs, and the police are called. The German police uh, are called at the time. West German police are called, um, and the on base, you know, military uh, police are also called to the scene. Seems like there's no suspicion of foul play in all the notes that that they mention. At least in the show, she had been complaining of headaches for a couple weeks beforehand. She had an aneurysm, something just exploded in her brain. Uh, she died instantly at the top of the stairs and then just fell down. But she was dead before you know she even hit the bottom of the stairs. From their investigation, you, again, the defense attorney and his investigator going over there, it's like, okay, we're good. This is, this is covered. This is a crazy coincidence. And it's probably still going to be brought up in court, even if... Michael Peterson wasn't responsible for her death. Maybe this kind of gave him the idea of how to cover up his own wife's death. It doesn't really matter whether he did this uh, or not back in the 80s. But this is this is going to come up. This is going to have to be something that we deal with. But it seems like their initial response after coming back from Germany is, well, every every bit of evidence that, 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 uh, that we've got copies of from the German police uh, is natural causes and you know this is all done now they later exhume her body and do a a new autopsy of that and later conclude right the medical examiner in the peterson case who was involved in kathleen peterson's autopsy comes to a conclusion that was foul play later exactly so they they exhume her body you know over 15 years later and uh, from texas where she was interred drive her all the way to North Carolina under lock and key. And it's crazy. The documentary filmmakers are there following the car, filming this entire drive back to North Carolina from Texas. And the, uh, the medical examiner in North Carolina does another autopsy and concludes that uh, she was uh, struck on the back of the head and that's how she died is from uh, from that she was murdered it wasn't this uh, embolism or whatever it happened in her brain uh, that that she had been killed presumably by the last person to see her alive who can say but this all then comes up uh, in court later on 
Rudolph did his best to keep it out, and they thought that it would be prejudicial. They didn't have anything to do with this, and prosecution thought that, no, no, this shows a history, a pattern, that you know he's done this before. So, and the judge was sort of torn on this, but eventually did allow this. Now, I, again, jumping ahead to later, the judge revisits this years later, I mean, after the you know all the other stuff develops, and, right. and questioned that decision that he made in 2003 to allow it. And, and it has even said, I'm not sure that I should have let that in. And he says the same thing about the um, homosexuality, the homosexuality uh, about whether that should have come in, because he, again, now looking at it back through the lens of 2017, uh, when the when he was interviewed for the case, uh, says that uh, absolutely that information uh, he viewed as, again, important to motive, but as extremely prejudicial to the jury. Uh, especially this this southern North Carolina Durham conservative mm-hmm. town. Yeah, yeah. I I will say that was actually one of the most jaw dropping moments of the new episodes was listening to his very f- small five minute interview. Yeah, and it's clear that he regretted some of his decisions. But again, I think that's in light of some other things that develop. I think prosecution has some good arguments for why that information is important. I mean, yeah. I mean from a legal perspective, I mean, this is critical to your motive to show this is why – I mean, otherwise, why would he have killed her unless she was on to him about this or an affair? I yeah. mean, you know, the sex, money, and drugs are kind of the three big things, and here's your – one of your motives that's kind of critical plus this – I mean, had prosecution not gotten that – they really would have been pretty hamstrung for what the you know arguing a motive. Um, oh yeah, and so I mean I, I I think it I think those are really complex legal decisions that the judge regrets now, but even at that time, I, I'm not sure if it was the wrong or right decision. It's just of course what a conservative North Carolina jury is going to do with that. I, it, it's complex. I, I don't think there's any easy answers on that one. This whole you know death from Germany becomes much more complicated because the despite you know the uh, the defense attorney and his uh, investigator going to Germany and getting these police reports where the police reports said things like oh there's there was very little blood at the scene the uh, the nanny who was the one who discovered the body and other people that uh, were there at the scene with the body like when the police and um, you know all those first respondents were showing up would also say that there was a large amount of blood at the scene, and then someone else testified that they spent a whole day cleaning blood stains off all the walls. Yeah, and and I again, correct me if I'm wrong, but does it come out that some of these folks and friends of the family were suspicious that there was a relationship aspect between the two? It, it keeps coming up, you know, over and over. Despite what I already said about her, the the way that. I ended up viewing this was um, was being doubtful about a relationship mm. because of what uh, his ex-wife was saying. That uh, this this like the, these two families being you know so close really came from the friendship between the two wives. Um, you know he he became later friends with with the husband uh, of this family. Ooh, um, is that the motive? I, I'd actually, uh, I'd never thought about this before, but oh. did, did they have something and 
that woman found out about it. I, I just I, I, I this hadn't is the first about that either. First time I thought about it. I, well, I like they, I they were more like acquaintances, but it was the women who were like the best friends. Maybe there were maybe there were better friends. <laughs> uh, so um, Drop his ex-wife give me twenty describes how how you know a relationship would have never happened because. They were too close of friends for uh, for that kind of thing to happen. Weirdly enough, his first wife um, seems like the kind of person who would be like totally cool with. Oh yeah, yeah go ahead and do your gay thing every once right. in a while. Right. Uh, you know, wouldn't care about it. So uh, I, I don't know. But all that information becomes you know much more uh, you know involved in the case. So one of the things that 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 initially strikes me that that the uh, defense attorney brings up that, that I also start to question is why why wasn't the second autopsy done in Texas by by someone there why was it done by the same medical examiner yes. who did the autopsy for um, for Kathleen Peterson yes. in North Carolina Great question. And and then that kind of gets us into a broader question of the forensic evidence, um, which I think this is going to be a good time to, to break and, and come back into our next episode, because we're going to focus a lot more on the forensics of it now instead of just you know the basic story and where all that goes. But one of the questions that, that I was, was really nagging at me was, where was the defense medical examiner? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't here i didn't catch any any kind of mention of uh an, a medical examiner you know coroner expert coming in and reviewing that uh that cause of death or manner of death all that kind of stuff right um, the, the, and, the usual suspects the michael bott and cyril wecht and and sperber and these guys who get involved in this stuff so with that those are kind of some of the questions that we'll uh, we'll leave you with here as uh as we close out this episode that we'll start to answer in the next one. So, um, uh, so as we close uh, today out, uh, a few things, don't forget about the Twitter, our new tweeting machine, uh, double loop pod is the, is our handle. So, uh, you know, get on there and follow us there, please. Uh, and also again, just because we're, uh, you know, looking to expand out with the sponsorships, um, the our, our most important sponsor, and I think the you know the biggest supporters of the show are going to be you guys, the listeners out there. Um, so please head on over to Patreon.com and see if you if you know even just a dollar a month uh, will help us out uh, with all the people across the world that listen to us. Heck, if everyone just gave a dollar a month, uh, that would go a long way into uh, improving you know how we sound and and what we can offer. So. Yeah. Uh, please uh, consider that and go on to, to there. And thank you to our uh, our patrons that are already, you know, uh, giving uh, to the podcast. Um, so, Glenn, do you have some uh, some classes coming up? Yeah, uh, the the next one I have right now that's an open class is actually in Canada, uh, which is in November, and uh, it's the uh, Advanced ACB Applications class. Uh, it uh, you can be found at Ron Smith and Associates. Uh, just go to ronsmithandassociates.com, and I believe it's going to be in Calgary. I think it's November twelfth through the sixteenth. Uh, check that out, but very soon I'm going to be adding some other classes and I'll be making some announcements for those. I'm looking for some hosts for uh, the Exclusionology class. 
so if you're interested in in bringing the, that class to your agency or even just attending, you know, please contact me, uh, Eric at RayForensics.com, or go to my website RayForensics.com for more information. Uh, so that's the exclusionology class. Uh, but I also want to bring up uh, a new class that uh, I'm going to start offering. And uh, you can go to RayForensics.com soon uh, to get some more detail. But it's going to be focusing on doing latent print comparisons in Photoshop uh, or on screen, you know, if, if your agency already has another program. But I think probably the most widely used on-screen comparison tool uh, out there, at least in the U.S., is, uh, is Photoshop. Uh, so there's plenty of classes out there, you know, that focus a lot on uh, how to enhance with Photoshop some of the tools that that, that offers. Uh, but this is going to focus much more on the on the examiner doing uh, analysis, comparison, evaluation, verification, all within that Photoshop tool. How to now compare a different kind of a different set of skills than comparing under a glass, comparing on the screen. Uh, so uh, look to rayforensics.com for more information about that. If you're interested, again, contact me uh, and I can get you more information uh, and more details about it uh, as the class develops. Are you going to the IAI this year? I am. Good. Uh, San Antonio, the Riverwalk. I, I finally, it, things were up in the air for me for a little bit, but finally found uh, a great deal for uh, for a hotel and for airfare. Great. Um, I'm not staying you know, at the conference hotel, it's still across the street, but it's only 40 bucks a night, so that's what I can afford. Wow. But, does, it, uh, does it come with your own hooker, too? <laughs> dead, I, sorry, it dead is hooker. Like literally, dead hooker. Sorry, let me, oh, let me make that uh, clear. I'll check, I'll check under the mattress. <laughs> let me make that clear, sorry. I, you know, don't, don't, uh, we probably shouldn't record anything there uh, with the podcast or bring up black light to see what's on the walls or anything, but, uh, it's still across the street from the, the, the convention center, so I figured it's close. But anyway, this takes me back to my old days when I used to travel around the country doing water purification. <laughs> and uh, and anything I didn't spend on uh, on hotel for my per diem, I got to keep tax-free. So, man, I, I stayed in some really, really disgusting place. <laughs> Good. All right. I'll, but, I'll be seeing you there. Uh, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'm a little nicer hotel, but... Uh. i'll I'll see you there we'll be obviously trying to do some recording there then cool great and uh, i'm assuming you're doing workshops that people can sign up for there yep i got a couple lectures and i hope to see people at those and i hope to uh you know see you there at the conference and uh um, i know glenn and i uh, every night will be somewhere uh willing to uh uh, have have a drink or two bought for us by our, our loyal double Ooh, podcast I listeners. love that. Good thinking, sir. Uh, anyway, this will uh, close out this first part of our Staircase uh, episodes. Uh, check back every week for more uh, at rayforensics.com under the, the Double Loop Podcast button. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or on iTunes. Uh, if you have any questions, you want to contact us, uh, Eric at RayForensics.com or Glenn at EliteForensicServices.com. Remember that everything we say here are our own opinions and do not represent uh, any agency or anybody else. And with that, we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Have a good week.